Literature Reapers is a proud member of the I Did Not Make These Rankings podcast network. Other shows in the network include Masturbators, The Sip List, Crushgasm, Men Are the Prize, An Evening at the Movies, Love is Black, and Literature Reapers. You can find out about all of our shows and more at idnmtrpodcastnetwork.com. Happy listening! I just want to say that I am so happy that... Um, Literature Reapers get so much love and attention in our network opening that it should just be said every other freaking phrase. Literature Reapers. Yeah, I want to make that. sure Literature you guys Reapers. know. It's probably yeah. why we're number one. Yeah. That, well, Cheers to that! Well, I'm Did going you? to get to, was, Okay, sorry. <laughs> we will get to that here in just a second, but definitely welcome back, everybody, to your mid-month check-in on Literature Reapers. I am Casey. I am joined as well by the other two Reapers as well. Say hello, other two Reapers as well. Hello, other two Reapers as well. Ditto. And as we so, well, the girls so lovingly let the cat out of the bag already. For those of you who don't know, as of Monday, August 14th, Literature Reapers is the number one Weekly independent literature review podcast on Good Pods. So definitely thank you to all the listeners and everybody for following the show, subscribing, listening, downloading, whatever you do. Keep doing that shit because as Harvey said last night on the drafts, we made it. Now we gotta stay. So heck yeah. We we worked hard to get here, but now the hard work starts and we got to Send off all the freaking people coming from beneath us. <laughs> Stay so, under me. I, I like being on top. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, I don't know about you two, but I definitely like being on top. Whatever. <laughs> so with all of that said, um, before we get into our mid-month discussion of... Um, this book, I will save all opinions and adjectives for a later time. Um, <laughs> so other than 19 minutes, what is everybody, what else is everybody reading? I'm reading The Block Party. Um, and I, I forgot the author's name. I feel bad. Um 
but it's really good. It's basically, it starts off at a Memorial Day block party and someone ends up dead. We don't know who. And then it goes back in time and kind of tells people's stories. It's very Desperate Housewives. Um, lots of secrets, lots of drama. Um, and it involves a, a teenager too and a guy that moves next door. So it's not just about the adults. So, so far it's really good. I would, I'm about halfway through and so far I would recommend it. I don't want to fully put my stamp on it yet because, you know, the spare room. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cautionary tale. Yeah, we, can thank, we can thank Shannon for that hot garbage. And if it's the one I'm thinking of, um, I believe the book is written by Jamie Day. Yes, that's correct. I knew it started with a J. Yeah, that's it. So, Miss um, Shanimal, what are you reading inside am... the 19 minutes? I am reading a book currently called Tell Me What I Am by Una Mannion. And it You're is a about a Her bitch. I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> true. Plot twist. Um, but it is about a young girl who reunites with her aunt who and they've been separated for a long time after the mysterious death of her mother. Um, actually the mysterious vanishing assumed death of her mother. Um, her father has kept her away from that side of the family and together they are trying to piece together the last days of her mother's, like where she was the last day where the family knew she, where she was. She had recently fled her ex, um, who was abusive, who was the young girl, Ruby's dad. And, um, so they're thinking, it, it appears that something happened to her, like, at the hands of her abuser, but you don't know yet, because I'm only, like, a third of the way through. But so far, it's kind of a slow start, but I understand why they're building it that way, so that way you have time to build, you know, empathy for the characters and really get to dislike Jacob. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. That was Peaches. Oh. So, my yeah. Phone, my, my phone rang because I didn't silencio my phone before we started. So, sorry for the interruption. Yeah. So, sure. that I, right now, like I said, I'm about a third of the way through. Um, if you like very character driven books, I would definitely recommend this one for you. It's, you know, not a fast paced, heart pounding kind of story, but it definitely will get your attention and hold it once you're there. Very nice. So, as we remember from last month, I am, well, I currently started my, restarted my journey to the Dark Tower. And Yee. I finished that book because that book literally takes like an hour and a half to fucking read. But I kind of sort of had the idea in my head I wanted to get through one, two, and three before our special guest arrives for an evening at the movies next month because he is not a big fan of the fourth book at all. <laughs> yeah. And he will talk shit on that till he is blue in the face and then the blue turns to purple. So, um, but that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> I did finish that one and I started another King book kind of sort of where the dark tower is similar, but it's the talisman. 
So, book one of the Sawyer series. Well, it's only two books, but, you know, six to one, half dozen to the other. Um, it's basically um, Jake Sawyer is um, traveling cross-country trying to save um, his world and the territories from a dark evil it just so happens that his mom and the queen in the territories are the same person just otherworldly it's alternate egos and all of that all put together it can be very confusing but it's actually a very enjoyable read it's got violence it's got language it's got some inappropriate stuff in the middle of the book <laughs> foreshadowing if that shit triggers you i don't recommend reading it but it if you can get past inappropriate stuff i highly recommend it so all right so with all of that said um the microphone goes to the person who selected this not hot garbage book for us to read because we're rebounding from the spare room and yeah Shanna's yeah. Shanna's never gonna live that one fucking down. Probably not until hey, I make my next fault. until I make my next bad decision. Right. I, I swear, if you, I don't think your next election could be as bad as what the. To be fair, it was the first time for all of us reading, and I had absolutely no idea that I was recommending toilet paper. Yeah. First of all. To call the spare room toilet paper is an insult to toilet paper. Yeah, it is kind of <laughs> rough. I mean, my shit deserves better paper. Prison toilet paper. Okay, I'm I'm willing to... Like Rikers you know, Island toilet paper. RV toilet paper where it dissolves in your hand because you, otherwise you can't flush it. Yeah. Like one drop of urine and it's like cotton candy. Yeah, it dissolves. It's either that or you so can't basically non paper. So basically non-existent toilet paper. Yes. Okay, so we... All right, Queenie, the floor is yours. I know, that's why I was talking. <laughs> I know, that's why I cut you off. <laughs> okay, so we are trying a new thing at Literature Reapers um, where we are letting the person who picked the book lead the discussions. This is also going to be our first mid-month check-in where we're actually going to dive into the book that we're reading. Um, I mean, I think that's a good idea to do every time, just depending on the content of the book. This book has so much meat to it that I don't feel like one episode is going to be enough to cover all the things that we want to cover. So, No, I would agree 100% because like, it was very, very early in this book when I realized this very easily could be a two-part yeah. Discussion. Well, it's told from multi multi character perspectives and and all that. So first, I'm going to just guys, You are definitely a rubber ball in this book, that's for damn sure. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Cuz it not only goes between characters, it goes between time too. Mm -hmm. so. But I think it does a good job and we can talk about that too. So, um, for those who don't already know, the book that we're reading is 19 Minutes by Jody Picoult. And um, let's see. In this book, 
this is kind of the synopsis. In Sterling, New Hampshire, 17-year-old high school student Peter Houghton has endured years of verbal and physical abuse at the hands of classmates. His best friend, Josie, I don't know how we say Josie's name. I'm going to say Cormier. Cormier. Yeah. Josie succumbed to peer pressure and now hangs out with the popular crowd that often instigates the harassment. One final incident of bullying sends Peter over the edge and leads him to commit an act of violence that changes the lives of Sterling's residents forever. That act of violence is a school shooting. So that's not a secret. We don't have to. Right. Yeah. We, Should we tell the listeners where we left out, or where we're cutting off the mid midpoint? Yes. Um, so we are cutting off at page 240. So if you're listening and you haven't got there yet, then maybe I, I wrote the questions kind of in order, but we're still going to bounce around a little. So pause know. and revisit once you hit yeah. 240. Um, and then also a trigger warning. Um, there's discussions of violence, um, domestic abuse, bullying, lots of triggers in this book. There's a, a flashback to 9-11. So, you know, just kind of be, it's not too terrible, but just kind of be wary of that. There's a lot of trigger warnings, especially for anybody who suffered in high school. So, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're going to talk about that. Um, I like at the beginning when it opens with, and the chapters kind of open, or portion, not chapters, like sections of the book have this letter that I assume is being written by Peter, to whom I don't really know. But at the very beginning, you know, he's saying, how how did we get here? You're probably wondering how this happened. And and he says, we we both know I didn't get here by myself. So reading that at the beginning, what did... Like, what did you guys think was that? Well, like, what do you think was coming based on that statement? Like the kind of foreshadowing? Well, well, I think the book did a really good job, like with its blurb explaining the topic, you know, like how he's the victim of, you know, school bullying and everything. So I kind of knew that that was what was going to happen. So, I mean, it wasn't this yeah. big, you know, secret, but the extent of what happened to him and when it portrays the the actual incidents inside the school and when they're going through how each person died and the order and everything like there's no way you could predict that kind of horror yeah well i i would agree that the blurb at the beginning of the book and also the plot description on the back of the book are very good indicators of giving you a pretty clear picture as to what road you're going down when you open this book and start to read. Um, so that was kind again, of a stupid question, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, it not really was not as dumb as every week when I start off my discussions with what about this movie did you absolutely love? I mean, well, that's so that seems like a pretty, there are no stupid questions, only stupid answers. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, we definitely... Um, Go ahead. No, I was just going to... It's definite. I assumed we were look, very much looking at a um, Pearl Jam situation. Obviously. Jeremy? From, yeah. The yeah. whole... The way it read, and then that... Op- Obviously, there has to be 
something that triggers Petey to do what he does. I wasn't expecting it to be as much of an in-depth. Um, Jody goes pretty... I can't speak for the second half because I haven't. I'm literally on page 240 right now. But throughout the portion of the book that I've read, she is very good and detailed with creating the world that these characters are living in and the situation mm-hmm. that these characters are living in. And wow. I mean, I'll even bring it up like an hour ago. I texted both of you and said these last couple chapters, very much PTSD moments. All over the place. Um, not yeah. necessarily with the fact that I was one of these people that, you know, took it. I'm not making light of it, but I did not take a gun to school. I did not open fire and kill numerous of my classmates. But Thank God. I remember being exactly otherwise I would not be here a part of the number one literature review podcast on Good Pods. <laughs> We're going to beat that to death like a dead horse. But, um, Especially in ninth and tenth grade, I was that athlete, football and wrestling, where I got bullied, I got hazed, I got teased, all of that crap. And I know how it made me feel. So a lot when they start talking about um, Pete and the soccer team and all of that, it's like, Mm-hmm. we're going down a road I don't know if I want to go down but I have to because we're I was literally like three chapters away from being ready for this episode so yeah and right. I definitely think and I know Casey you've talked about your experiences and and obviously you didn't take a, a gun to school but I think anybody that has experienced this level of bullying has had thoughts in their head of different ways they can make it stop yeah, because that's all. Oh, yeah. That's all he wants. He just wants it to stop. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, for God's sakes, his own brother was doing it. Yeah, the, yeah. and that's one of the things we're going to talk about is how much that played into it. And um, I don't necessarily want to get to the the spoiler of the front half of the book either. But um, best friends. Well, yeah. Need I need I say more? I mean, yeah. that would be enough to push me over the freaking edge. Well, uh, so I'm going to say, um, like I said, when I kind of told what the, did the synopsis, there is one thing that happens that you guys have not gotten to yet that if you thought all this shit was bad, it's bad. So just prepare yourselves. I, I am already as much as I've read and as much as I've been uh, throughout the first half, I'm expecting bigger uh, in the second half of the book as well. So, and a lot of it involves misunderstandings too, which is another thing that really plays into some parts of this book. But okay, so I at the very beginning, we're reading, you know, about Josie, and like very early in the book, you know, 17 year old Josie is talking about how she's basically faking popularity, how hard it is, how scared she is, talking about, you know, how she has a bottle of pills that she's just waiting to take. Um, what do you guys think about, so this is before we know what happened between her and Peter. This is just very early on. We're first meeting Josie. I mean, I guess given it kind of depends on how you were in high school. If, if I had to put myself in someone's position in this book, I was a Josie. 
I not that I abandoned my friends, but that I was friends with a lot of people. I wasn't mean to anybody, but I also like just I stuck with my core people, but I wasn't super popular. I was just kind of like I could go either way. But being popular is I guess do you guys think that she does a good job of portraying what popularity means in this book? Like for real. I thought so. I mean I think Go ahead, Jen. I I don't want to say like she's an imposter, but she's she's popular because of her boyfriend. Well, yeah, she is an imposter and she knows she is. Right. I mean, the whole so time she, she's like, I'm one step, I'm one bad decision away from ruining everything, and that controls how she behaves. And she was a pariah, you know, after the whole Peter thing. And then all of a sudden Matt was like, you know, do you want to be my girlfriend? And then all of a sudden everything was forgiven and everything was fine. But even though she didn't like instigate or take part in the bullying, she was very much so a bystander and did absolutely nothing to curb it. So I think like she's just as guilty as the perpetrators. But I understand why she was a bystander, because if she had stepped in, that was basically like social suicide. Right. So it's it's. What would what would seventeen year old you have done if you had been in that situation? I was an on. I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but I was always the one that would like invite the the weird kids to sit with me because I was one of the weird kids. I mean, I, I think um, that's awesome. Was <laughs> I'm not a kid anymore legally. Now I'm a weird adult. Okay. <laughs> potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Yeah, now my weirdness could be considered a felony if taken too far. <laughs> well, and so that's the thing that this book does very well, I, I think, because I have been kind of the weird kid, but I've also been kind of the popular kid, and I've also been the kid who's like, oh my god, I'm finally with the in crowd, and I don't want to do anything to not be a part of that. That being said, and at least in my high school, I never witnessed bullying like this. No. Like like what you see in movies and what you read in this book. I mean, you kind of knew where the social hierarchy hierarchy was, but I don't remember even the most popular people at my school bullying people like this. I just remember them being a closed, it was a closed group. And if you weren't in, you weren't in. And it makes me wonder too, if maybe like it was different between the boys and the girls. Like Casey experienced it. If, you know, girls are more catty and yeah, like I psychologically horrible. Boys are like physically. So I wonder like if we didn't notice those things happening because we weren't the victims and we weren't the perpetrator. Like, so it just kind of flew under the radar because we were too busy, you know, watching our own backs. Well, I'm talking about like, and yeah, Casey, I want you to talk about that. For sure. But I I guess I mean like the little things like that you see in movies all the time or, or even like in this book, tripping somebody what? in the cafeteria, throwing spitballs, no, never pulling their pants down. Like, does Four that words. Mean? Can't buy me love. Yeah, but Ronald, like that. That's literally, that's the whole basis of Ronald's speech at the end of the whole movie yeah. is the whole how tough it is to be. I was sitting on that one for a hot minute after you asked the question because you have the whole dilemma of how 
hard it is to be just to be yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, whether you want, whether you're adding on being cool or being a nerd or whatever, just, but at the end of the day, just being yourself is the hardest thing in the freaking world to be. And all this extra bullshit, that's all it does is just, it compounds the situation and makes it that much more worse. And unfortunately, when you have the perfect storm of events that all conspire together, scissoring. Yeah. <laughs> then you have Pete and the shit to happen for him, to him. And then because of all that, what he ended up doing at the school. Yeah. And nobody knows who they are in high school. Everybody's just trying to fit into some group or another. Like, you know, the young version of Josie that we get in this book is my favorite because it's like, if we could all be that authentic and that loyal to our friends, that would be amazing. But obviously it doesn't work like that because things change as people change. And high school is just its whole own beast. But And priorities change. Like the things that that were important to us. You know, like when we were little, we just wanted to have friends. We didn't care about what labels were on their clothes or what their mm-hmm. parents did for a living. Like, but then as you progressively get older, those things become more and more important. Mm-hmm. And you you have to figure out, like, why are they more important? Like, what is changing with these kids? Are the parents encouraging this behavior to where, you know, like you have to have the most expensive things in order to be cool or you have to play sports in order to be cool or, you know, like where is it morphing from just, you know, everybody matters to, you know, you have to, or you have to fit within these specific parameters to be important. Well, and social media has made that even more because it's like, oh, you've got to have the newest thing and you've got to have the hottest thing and this is the new trend. And, you know, I think it. Here's the other point though with social media though too. Not only does social media fuel the whole I need, I need, I need, but social media also has become a huge freaking tool that little pussy boy bullies can hide behind their damn social media and do what Pete had done to him all from behind a computer screen and not have to step up and get in your face and be like, hey, you're a bitch. Hey. It makes it so much easier to bully people, yeah. And I think it's like created a perfect... Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, like Pete was called in the store. I mean, how many times has Pete called a homo? Yeah. Not our words. Yeah. We're, words. We're quoting the book. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean. And, the, and like, it you know, takes you back to. At girls. least they came. At least. Yeah. Yeah. At least they said that to his face. Nowadays, people are just sitting there typing, you are a homo, send. Yeah. And posting out all over everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I I do feel like, like, as well as she wrote this book, in my opinion, I think the bullying that's going on was written a little bit overboard, what actually happens. But it could be different everywhere. So I'm not, I'm just saying from my own experience, but also it's like nobody did anything about it. Um, And, you know, they're like, well, why don't you go to the principal? Well, that just fucking makes it worse. And Obviously, we know that to be yeah. the case. Right. And like when Casey was saying, you know, he was being called, you know, derogatory terms about homosexuals, like being called a homo and everything. Like growing up, that was 
for guys, I'm sure that mm-hmm. was like the epitome of insult. Where I mean, like yeah. in Mean Girls, when they're calling Janice Ian a lesbian, you know, like that was like the reason Regina George didn't like her anymore. You dumb hoe, she was Lebanese, not a lesbian. Yes, that that's the and, and that's the best part of that movie is that she didn't know the difference, and like that's yeah. the whole joke. But ooh, a Lebanese girl. Yeah. So that actually brings me to my next question. Um, what did you guys think about how Lacey handled the bullying scenario? As far as she decides, okay, Peter's going to stand up for himself. And if he doesn't, he's going to be punished. If he loses another lunchbox, he's going to be grounded. Now, to be fair, prefacing it with Peter didn't tell her what was actually happening. Yeah. But what do you guys think about that? How do you think that played into how he viewed himself and what happened to him later on as a um non-parent looking at it from the outside um it's easy for me to sit back and say when you were raising a kid even like i have my two nephews and i want them to be able to stand up for themselves and put their foot down and say, no, I'm not going to handle this. Or I'm not going to deal with this. You need to stop. But I also see where they're coming from throughout the book. Where they're like, how, in what way is standing up for yourself? You know, how, in what ways is it appropriate to stand up for yourself? Is it appropriate to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to take this. And run and tell on them to the principal or a teacher or the aide or whatever. Because, like you said, all that's going to do is make the situation that much fucking worse. Because now, not only are you labeled, you know, a homo or whatever. Now you're a tattletale. Now, now, you're, now a you're a pussy. Now you're yeah. a pussy. Now you're a tattletale. Now you're all of this. And that's all that's going to do is make the situation worse. But at the same time, not standing up for yourself, I truly honestly believe in my heart is what leads people to become adults that aren't capable of standing up for themselves yeah. as well. And I always... That's not helping the situation any either because that's only going to make it... You're going to end up being George McFly having yeah. Biff dump all his reports on you and make you do all that. He's going to force you to borrow his car. Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, for those of you who've seen Back to the Future, you know what I'm talking about. With yeah. Beginning of the movie, George McFly. Not end of the movie, George McFly. When my daughter was growing up, she was the victim of bullying. And I always wanted her to feel like she could stand up for herself. I encouraged her to stand up for herself. But at the same time, I also encouraged her to know that if it came to a point where she could not stand up for herself, I would have her back. Yeah, And there was a time when I picked her up from an after-school program and she was in tears. And they literally told me, or she told me, that there were two boys in the after-school program that bet each other to punch her in the face. Oh my god. And then video it. And they basically... Idiots. Technology is not helping this situation any. Right. So then I pick her up and she's like, yeah, they, they got sent home. And I'm like, that's it? So I threw my Volkswagen Beetle into park and I was in that after school program so fast. 
-hmm. And I'm like, why didn't anybody call me? Why did, why wasn't, why is my daughter the one telling me? So then I called the police because they said that, you know, that would be a police matter. So I called the police and the police actually had the audacity to ask me if I wanted to press charges, because is it really worth ruining two boys lives? Oh, of course. And I was like, and then I got, I got upset and then they like reached into their pocket and I was like, are you going to fucking pepper spray me? And they're like, no, I was getting my flashlight. Cause you could see my daughter had like a black eye cause they mm -hmm. broke her glasses. And like, I was like, whatever. And then the next day I got a call from the school resource police officer and he was like, the police may not do anything about it, but I will. Yeah. Okay. So here's my thought on that is like, literally, and I'm not trying to put Shanna's parenting down by any stretch of the imagination because Shanna is a good parent who did an amazing job with her daughter. I'm 100% sure. But are you willing to ruin two kids' lives over this situation? Oh, okay. absolutely. So what, hap well, how what old happens were they? if... Middle school. Okay. Old enough so, to know better. Okay, their lives example, wouldn't though. be ruined. What, what, what right. happens if your daughter has a mental break and pulls a Peter freaking situation all over the place? Now... You have a lot of lives ruined where it potentially only could have been two boys' lives ruined. Yep. All because they're, well, they want to be lazy asses and don't want to do their fucking job? Fuck you. Mm -hmm. Not you. And I you. had, yeah. I had to deal with this shit with Abby, too, in middle school. Of, and the schools are always very, we can't tell you what the other kid's punishment was. That's right. always the party line is we're handling it. Well, no, you're not fucking handling it because every day my daughter is coming home talking about people were talking about her at school. People are texting each other this. People are saying all these, you know, it's all verbal bullying, but it's still and, and they're not doing anything. And then, you know, in the book, we see the one time oh. Peter does stand up for himself. He gets in trouble. Uh -huh. But I, I think more kind of what I was because my opinion it was more about, do you think Lacey did the right thing in saying, look, you're on your own. You got to handle this. And if you lose another lunchbox, you're in trouble. No. Because I felt like that was too, I felt like that was harsh. And, but I also feel like it's representative of like our parents. Cause that's how our parents would have been. Yeah. Gen Xers know our parents. That's very much the suck it up, rub some dirt on it, grow a pair mentality. And I wonder too, if it had been Joey having the same issue if it would have been handled the same way. Like they showed it on Joey and they yeah. like, they basically left Peter to fend for himself. He was a little guy. Yeah. When this was happening, not like, it's not like he was in middle school and you yeah, know, it's like kindergarten. Yeah. And they were thrown his You're going to punish him. Like yeah. I just, I, you know, I, I hate to judge anyone's parenting and we're going to get into, you know, how could the parents not have known, but I feel like it, it's so I saw this uh, thing on TikTok and it was talking about like, hey, take it easy on your parents because this is their first time at life too. This is their first time doing this too. And it's so hard to play, you know, Monday morning quarterback and go back and be like, well, what could I have done differently? And we get a lot of that in this book, especially from Lewis, which I also want to talk about. Mm -hmm. But it's like, at some, not saying that she's to blame, but I'm saying I feel like that was a, a very poor way to handle that situation. And so from a very young age, he knew he was on his own. Home, all no it, matter what, should be a safe space. Yeah. Yes. All he had was Josie, and then he didn't have Josie. Mm -hmm. Like, and he should have had his brother, but he didn't even sense. have his brother. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Which is what makes those two little plot twists right there even bigger because at the same time, at the beginning, you see he doesn't have his parents. Yeah. And you learn rather quickly he doesn't have his brother. Then several chapters later, you feel, you realize he just lost freaking Josie. Yeah. He's got nothing. Literally. So, he's, yeah. There's nothing holding him back from doing what he did. I mean, worst case scenario, what's he? What's he, he goes to school with some guns and ultimately kills a bunch of kids. Okay, so what's he gonna? He's going to jail. Well, and he intended on killing himself, and then didn't, and you know, well, we'll yeah. we'll go down that road later. So then that brings me to this because I I feel like things would have been completely different had this one situation not happened. So we get to a point where the kids are little, they're like first or first grade, maybe um, they're still really young. And, you know, Alex and Lacey are best friends. Peter and Josie are best friends. They're all together all the time. Um, and then they find them downstairs in the basement playing with a gun. And so Alex, in my opinion, rightfully so loses her shit. And, you know, Lacey's trying to defend herself. Well, it's not loaded. And, you know, Peter knows how to blah, blah, blah with guns. But I think that that changed the trajectory of everything. Because I think had Josie and Peter still been allowed to be friends, I don't know that she would have drifted off in the other, into the other crowd. They could only see each other at school. Um, so I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think they would have stayed friends had that incident not happened? Yeah, because she was left looking for her people, too, just like he was. And she was just lucky enough to find people that accepted her, you know, for who they thought she was. He didn't have that same thing. So, yeah, I think I think Alex definitely should have lost her shit because that was dangerous for both kids. And I think Lacey should have lost her shit, too, because too. if he knew how to handle guns, he knows that it shouldn't be in his hands in the first place. Yeah. You and know, he didn't. She just said that to cover her ass. Right. So, I mean, there's well, no situation I mean, anywhere that you go that a person in first grade should have access to a gun, let alone handle it, whether it's loaded or not. Right. And I think had, well, I mean, at the end of the Lacey day, had the I, same reaction. I know how to take a fucking shower. Shower. I know how to take a shower and look what happened still. <laughs> yeah. But I think Thanks. had Lacey reacted more harshly, I think the friendship between her and Alex could have, been salvaged and therefore I think the relationship between Josie and Peter could have as well yeah. I think that Alex biggest Alex's biggest complaint was that Lacey seemed perfectly fine with this happening yeah and, and that was my complaint too right it showed how different they were in parenting right but then Alex is like I have no like there's no level playing field here I can't I can't be friends with someone who is so blase about our mm -hmm. kids handling a firearm. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I know our parents never had that concern or to my knowledge, never asked it. But I know as Abby started going on play dates, I had to ask people, is there a gun in your home? And if so, where is it? Can my child access it? Like I'm not sending my kid to your house. And those are uncomfortable conversations to have, especially in Texas because everybody has a fucking gun. But at the same time, it's like anything could happen. And, you know, if one of them had gotten hurt in that situation. But yeah, I, I yeah. definitely think 
Alex and Lacey needed each other, and I was sad that their friendship ended. But I think had Peter and Josie still been allowed to see each other all the time, that they would have stayed with each other. But they didn't have that option, really. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Casey? Oh, I pretty much echo the same points that both of you made. Um, it's definitely one of those things where one small glitch in the space-time continuum causes a ripple effect that stretches. Bruce Lee metaphor. You throw <laughs> a rock in a pond and it makes ripples. And Eventually there's a volcano those in China. Spread out. Yeah, the ripples stretch out over the course of the entire pond, eventually. So, you know. Do you mean a tsunami? Them playing. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) You know. Volcano, tsunami, whatever. Same thing. I was like, wait, what? I hadn't heard that one before. An asteroid explodes. I don't know. (laughs) A butterfly's wing falls off. Them playing with the gun was, you know, literally plunking, you know, the rock into the pond and then catalyst everything that comes after is you know the ripples coming out across the pond is everything that's happened afterwards with their friendship ending the you know ultimately to the end being the school shooting and whatever is to come in the last 200 pages of this book yeah i do think had jo- had that not happened and josie and peter had stayed friends all through high school i still feel like she wouldn't know who she is because she would just change from the role of pretending to be popular and to fit in to taking on the role of Peter's protector. That's who she'd be all through high school is his bodyguard, basically. So I still feel like Josie would end up at the end of her high school career, not knowing who the hell she is. Yeah. But 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 maybe maybe she would have been more okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not knowing who you are throughout the majority of your teen years is kind of sort of, common yeah yeah for pretty much everybody at some point some people it's a lot bigger of a moment in their life than it is for others some people can go from not knowing in their teenage years into their 20s and 30s and still not know who the hell they are i still don't fucking know who i am um okay so let's let's lighten it up for a bit for just a second um what do you guys think about Lewis's job. This is one of the most interesting things I have ever read. What this guy gets paid to do for a living. And I truly don't understand it. But so he's a professor of economics, but what he really studies is the economics of happiness and has like these formulas to figure out mm-hmm. happiness, which is basically reality divided by expectation. And reading about that like really intrigued me, like, you know. How how do you determine what what's happiness and what's not and at what level and what things it's like it's just so weird to me and interesting. I kind of wish I knew more about what he did. Yeah, to I me, mean, economics would be, you know, it's numbers, it's black and white data. And to be an economics professor of happiness, like it just it seems more how do I put it? Like hokey theology class than it would an economics class. You know, it doesn't, yeah. I think it's very interesting, but I, I don't, 
I don't know. It just seems so odd. It really does. And I was trying to find uh, this one section where, because I wanted to ask you guys about it and I lost my mark for it. And then when they tell him they need him to take time off. Yeah. It's because they don't want him there. Yeah. Your son's a monster. We don't want you here, which is just terrible. And then the Lacey getting told not they don't want a a parent of a murderer touching their baby. Yeah, that's just that is awful. I I I would feel the same way. I think I understand it. Ripple effects across the pond of life. I mean, it's it sucks, but I would like understand it. Um. Damn it. I was trying to find... Okay, here we go. So there's this little section um, where he's talking about, you know, the whole happiness thing. So um, like, okay, the marital status is associated with 0.07 level and increase in happiness. Um, Being married, which he's like, nobody understands what that means. But if you put it in another way, Tell somebody that being married had the same effect on overall happiness as an additional $100,000 a year. Then that puts it in perspective. And that's that's interesting how you could put numbers into human perspective like that. Oh, does that mean I have to get married again? No. Okay. Thank God. This, this was also written in 2007. So, so it's worth more than $100,000 now. Yeah. Inflation. It said higher income was associated with higher happiness, but in diminishing returns. Someone who made fifty thousand reported being happier than a man with a salary of twenty-five thousand. But the incremental gain in happiness that came from getting a raise to fifty k to a hundred k was much less. And here we go. Well-being was greatest among women, married people, the highly educated, and those whose parents who didn't divorce. Okay, that. <laughs> Women's happiness was declining over time, possibly because they'd reached greater equality with men in the labor market. That pissed me off. (laughs) Our happiness is growing because we realize we don't need husbands to complete our lives. Mm -hmm. We're in positions where we can maintain a quality of life that we want on our own. Uh, Casey's giving us the stink eye. Take two. Take two. We can't even get that right, but hey, you know what? I, dropped, I ended up throwing nope. my phone, so that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we had some te- technical difficulties. I have everything figured out now. We are good to go through the end of the episode, and I will figure out how to scissor everything together scissor and make everything together. a beautiful episode. So we may have cut off at a certain point that you don't get to hear our full thoughts, but you're still going to hear our thoughts. So sorry. And if you have questions, then definitely message us and we'll finish our thought just for you. Because Amanda is a thought. (laughs) thought. I'm on my thought shit. Okay. Okay. So we were basically talking about Lewis's job, I think. And, you know, we we did that. I just thought it was an interesting concept and. If there's anybody out there that actually does something like that for a living, I'd love to hear from you. Because how is that practical? Like, and why that, is it important? Yeah, like, I, mean, I would feel kind of pissed if I paid for my my kid to go to college and that's what they they class they took. I'd be like, um, no. 
Like, thank you for telling me the economics of happiness and what should be, be making me happy. But you know what? <laughs> well, let me eat it, my well, snowball I mean, in peace. At the end of the day, money makes me happy. So economics does technically, I guess, make me happy. Yeah. I mean, money makes life easier. I'm not going to lie. Coming from somebody who lives very comfortably, we're not uh, not rich by any means, upper middle class. But I will say, having lived as a single mom who had, you know, lived paycheck to paycheck, having money does make certain things easier. But that being said, life problems are still life problems and problems in life do not give a fuck about your economic status. So there's that too. Nope. I can vouch for that one wholeheartedly after the way my week ended last week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's get to one of the toughest subjects that I feel like we have to talk about, and we'll probably talk about more in the next one. <sighs> Should the parents have known? So, you know, we get a lot of things of like, okay, when, um, uh, oh, crap, what's the cop's name? Patrick. When he meets Lacey, you know, the first thought is like, she doesn't look like someone who raised a monster. And, you know, she's blaming herself. And Lewis says, don't do that to yourself. And she's like, well, everybody else will. And that's true. Um, And he even says, like, I wrote wrote down the quotes. I was like, ugh. So what word, what platitude, what comment of his had led Peter to this? So, and, and if you guys haven't seen it or anybody else, there is an episode of Grey's Anatomy that touches on this very subject, and it's really moving. There is a, a kid who goes to a college and shoots a bunch of people, and she shows up at the hospital thinking her kid is one of the victims, just like Lacey did, thinking, you know, Peter might have been a victim. And then they find out their son is the shooter, and it's like, I can't no, imagine no, no. that happening. Like, yeah. It, I can't wrap my mind around and and don't think I haven't thought it sometimes. My own kid has been through some depressive shit and some stuff and she does not have the heart of anybody that would hurt anyone. But when people are suffering mentally, you never really know. Right. So what do you guys think about, do you think the parents play, do you think the parents deserve any fault in this scenario? I think there's no wrong answer, but it's a tough one. I think definitely with the things that were found in the home when they did the search where they found the explosives and, you know, things along those lines. Part of me is like, okay, if my kid's building explosives in my home, I feel like that's something I would be like, well, why are you needing these things? Why are you bringing these things home? But they didn't know. And she didn't go into his room. I think if you have a child who is struggling mentally, that you don't just leave them unchecked. I don't think they knew, though. And they thought whatever he was going through was because he was sad about his brother. Like, his brother died a year before. And they. I'm not trying to, like, dismiss, because I agree with what you're saying. But I think, like, playing devil's advocate, they're all grieving the loss of somebody and, and Lacey even says, yeah, I thought he was quiet and reserved, but he dismisses his brother. Well, that's not really true. He hated his brother. Right. But if you think about it, they kind of built this dynamic from when he was a child. That's true. So they can't really absolve themselves of fault when 
the things and the actions that they did or did not take, you know, from a young age, I mean, telling him that he was going to be punished if he didn't stand up for himself, like basically giving him the impression that he was out on his own. And you can't tell me that that brother wasn't a dick to him at home. You don't just like turn it off, you know, once you walk through the home. I, I don't, there, there's absolutely no way that they went through this young man's entire life without seeing any signs that this could potentially be a hazard. I think that Lacey just thought he was just sensitive. And she even said, she was like, we have more in common because he's sensitive and will let me hug him and hold him and all this stuff. And I, I don't know. I don't think that they're blameless, but I also don't think they are to blame for right. what he did. I think, think it was, yeah, I think that's definitely how I feel about it. I don't think that all of the blame should have been placed on their shoulders, but I don't think that they should be completely absolved of it either. But do you think it's fair for society to blame them? Society is a bunch of morons anyway. They're going to point the finger at whoever they want to point the finger at. Yeah, they're the easiest people to blame. Well, and I think, uh -huh. too, as a society, we are never going to have, like, we're never going to have all of the information at our hands. The parents don't even. So, right. you know, it's easy for us on the outside to look in and say, this kid had to have had a fucked up home or there had to have been signs. So is it right for society to blame them based on the information that we get? I would say yes, because, you know, society, the information that is usually shared when one of these scenarios happens, usually, you know, is portrayed like there were signs and, you know, cause people come out later and I don't know whether they're just, you know, trying to infiltrate the, the story and become a part of it or whether that really happened. But everybody always comes out and says there were signs, you know, like with the Columbine shooters, with the yearbook picture where they're, they're holding up like finger guns and stuff. You know, everything gets skewed. But those people even pay attention to them. I, in my opinion, I think most of those people, especially students, are people trying to be in the, the spotlight or the limelight. Right. Where they're trying to absolve themselves of guilt. Right. For what they might have done. Because, honestly, the only person to blame fully is Peter. Right. I would blame his bullies before I would blame his parents. I think everybody shares in a little bit because it was a perfect storm of what happened to him. But... I think sometimes people come out and they're like, oh, I remember he was so this and that and whatever. No, you don't. You probably didn't even know that kid's fucking name. But when you think about it, too, like in this book, yes, we get the backstory of what happened to Peter. But in real life, yeah. when we hear about these stories, we don't. Yeah. Nobody speaks ill of the dead. You know, they don't say that, you know, they were a horrible monster that tortured someone for four years of high school. You know, they don't they don't tell you that. So as yeah. society, I think we place blame based on the information that we have. And sadly that oftentimes is put on the parents. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of sort of a decent example as well. Fast forward to first episode of next month's an evening at the movies, the movie Carrie prime example. I mean, yeah, Carrie, Carrie killed a lot of people from the upper grade levels from her high school for a lot of the same reasons why Pete did the same thing. And a lot of the people in, you know, 
the community aren't necessarily going to, and a lot of people still to the this day, all these quote unquote years after the high school fire, don't necessarily, you know, put the blame where it needs to be placed on the students that put Carrie in the situation that they put her in. Yeah. But the, they still, you know, burn in hell, white bitch or whatever the hell the sign said yeah. at the, you know, you know, you know the sign I'm talking about at the end of the movie yeah. when she reaches up out of the damn rocks and grabs <laughs> Sue's arm. I mean, so, you know, without obviously having all the information, you know, it's easy to automatically point the fingers at the parents, whether it's, you know, Lacey and Lewis, whether it's Margaret White, you know, whatever the case may be, you know. But are, like, video games and movies and things of that nature also a contributing factor? You know, that's... I say no to that, but that's just me. I'm the same way. I did. I've played those games and I never murdered anyone. Exactly. I did a research paper in college where I examined the fact versus fiction and who's rightfully to blame in that whole situation. And at the end of the day, I based my whole entire argument on the whole. I grew up playing Grand Theft Auto. I grew up watching Nightmare on Elm Street, watching Halloween, watching all this stuff. I've never killed anybody in my entire life. But you're also yeah. not mentally ill or suffering from PTSD or any other, like, I think that's the contributing factor because everybody, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not like attacking you guys with this, but I'm saying society in general will always make that argument. I played all these violent mm -hmm. games and watched horror movies and I never killed anybody. Okay. But you're not, you don't have a mental illness. Right. Or if you do, it's in control or you are not suffering through PTSD or whatever. I think that argument maybe is like 60% applicable. to. And if to you think about it. it too, he didn't just play violent video games. He created a violent video yeah. game with As the exact outlet. scenario yeah. that he wanted to, you know, so obviously, you know, there, if I had a friend that came up to me and was like, Hey, you want to help me make a video game where we shoot up our classmates? I might be like, you know, there are people you can talk to. But his friend was being bullied too, and yeah, to, to them it was an outlet. It, I I personally don't believe that Peter created this game as a blueprint for what he was going to do. I think he created it as an outlet to release his anger, release his whatever he has felt pent up. Okay, I can go shoot Matt yeah. and Drew and whoever in the head, and then be wake fine. up tomorrow and it's a new day. Yeah, because because what else are you going to do? Well, right. what he does, but you can't beat him up. And I will say the second half of this Clearly. book, when you guys get to it, does a good job of um, kind of exposing some of the stuff we're talking about in the trial. So, and it sucks because that's terrible, but also because nobody, if, if my kid died in a school shooting, I wouldn't want to hear that she was a, you know, vicious bitch who bullied people. But at the same time, it, these things don't just happen. Right. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. There, it's a buildup of things. There's precursors. So that takes me into the next thing. Oh, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say that's why I kind of sort of drew the line in the beginning of the episode with the perfect storm. It's like yeah. the wind and the rain and the weather and the, all of this all has to come together. And then you have the perfect fucking storm. And I think the so way that you explained it as well, Amanda, when you say that, you know, something happens in the second half that Casey and I haven't read yet, I think that's probably going to explain better as far as why it morphed from creating a video game to creating or, you know, to acting it out in real life. Yeah. So I think that that might be where our disconnect on opinions is, is because we don't have that additional information yet. And maybe, but it's, it, it's not some, like, big, huge, like, deep revelation. There's there's one more final thing that happens, and he just kind of snaps. But it, I think you're still left with the idea that that's not why he created that game. But then it was like, okay, well, if I can do it in the game, I can do it in real life. Christian. Yeah. Is this, a, is this like an Aaron Stamper type moment? No. It's okay. not like that. No. Who's Aaron Stamper? Primal Fear. Primal Fear. Oh, okay. No, it's, there's no, there's no, like, there is one decent sized twist, but it doesn't have anything to do with Peter's psyche. So I won't ruin okay. it for you except to say it's not that. But that does take me into the whole bullied victim syndrome. What do you guys think about that as a defense? As I know that they had kind of used the precursor of the battered woman syndrome. Right. And as someone who has suffered from that, obviously I did not, you know, kill my partner. Or burn uh, the bed while he was drunk, passed out in it. Right. Way right. to go, Farrah Fawcett. Yeah, the burning bed. Um, that movie traumatized me. It did. Try watching. My mother loves that movie. Texas. Or try living it. But yeah. yeah. But. Um, I can definitely understand where you are just so traumatized repeatedly and so broken that you can reach a point in your life where you feel that that is your only way to escape is if they do not, you take away their ability to ever hurt you again. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, get self-preservation. It is. Because honestly, it got to a point with my ex-husband before we divorced, I, you know, after I left him, that he wouldn't stop. He just, he would not stop. And I went through so many scenarios in my head of what I could do to just make him leave me alone. Like yeah. I didn't, and it wasn't, the idea wasn't to, to hurt him or to harm him or anything. It was just to make him stop. And the thing is, you so can't. Yeah, and when nobody's helping you, nobody's doing anything, like, I, I thought it was a very interesting defense thing, and I'm surprised we actually haven't seen more of that. Unfortunately, a lot of these school shooters don't end up going to trial. Or, or surviving. Like, or like the Parkland shooter, just kind of complete pieces of shit from all accounts. But Or they kill themselves after they're done. Right, so a lot of them, we don't get to see a trial where we don't get to see what mind state they must have been in. But I think bully victim syndrome, PTSD as coming from battered wife syndrome, it's a real thing. And I'm not, I, I thought that was an interesting thing to put into the book for Peter because, but at the same time, Peter's not sorry. Peter has no remorse. So what do you, 
What do you think about that? Well, I mean, it's tough, but I mean, I guess I can kind of sort of see the whole eye for an eye thing. Like, look at all they, the they shit that they've dumped on him. me for all. <laughs> right. No, no, but at the same time, there's got to be some kind of justification in his head where it's like, I can't physically make them stop doing what they're doing. Yeah. But this is what I have the power to do. I it, think unfortunately it's the only thing possibly that he could do, unfortunately, was to take a gun to school and open fire. Well, multiple guns to school and open fire. I but, think there is a very big difference between wanting to find a way to make it stop and taking pleasure in hurting others. Right. He got something out of killing those people and he wasn't sorry about it. So I think it went past that desire to just make it stop. You know, I think it went, it it transitioned from that to revenge for him. Cause I, I could understand that break in your psychosis where you're like, yes, this is, there's, this is never going to stop. This is my only way out. Mm -hmm. And he even says he planned to take his own life. Okay, great. But then he Mm -hmm. didn't. I think afterwards, the the fact that he feels zero remorse is what makes me kind of go, eh. Because I could understand having a psychotic break, but you should still feel some kind of way about taking people's lives. They were kids. They were assholes. And they would probably grow up to be adults that bully, unfortunately. But they were still kids. Like, you should feel bad a little bit. And... From what I'm getting, Peter feels no remorse. So that yeah. kind of made it different for me. I don't know. And it makes me wonder what, like, the other kids' parents, the one, like, we hear what Matt and his friends did to Peter, but the other people that he shot, like... Courtney? Yeah. Like, I I don't understand. Like, if he was just trying to make it stop, then I think his targets should have stopped with the people that were inflicting. Well, it, you're, not, you're not done yet. Okay. Based on what I know now. And he also, he shot people that had nothing to do with it. And he just said they got in the way, which mm-hmm. I, again, why didn't you shoot the people that you were just going after? And Jordan kind of asks him that and he doesn't, you know, it's just like. Like Mr. McCabe. Mr. McCabe was his, you know, like an ally when he caught him at the gay club. But he, so this is the other thing. Do you guys think Peter is gay? I don't think he is, but I, I don't. Think I is. think he was questioning it for a little bit, but I think he knows that he's not. I, I think he's confused sexually confused. and thought Mr. McCabe would out of him. Mm-hmm. Definitely confused. I mean, if you hear, it's like if it's like if somebody tells you you're ugly so many times, when do you start believing it? When somebody keeps calling you a homo so many times, when do you start believing it? And he's never had a girlfriend and. You know, and he's a kid and he doesn't get it. So he's questioning things that as an adult, you would be like, no, I should have never questioned that. But he just doesn't know. And they're not helping. (laughs) Right. And Mr. McCabe was helping him. He was like, you can talk to me. You know, he's like, I don't share that part of my life because I would get judgment, you know, at the school. But I'm always here if you want to talk. I don't think Mr. McCabe would have outed him. I think Mr. McCabe would have been a safe space for him, but he didn't know that. But if he hadn't, if he hadn't killed him and it ultimately died himself, he was probably thinking 
oh, Mr. McCabe's going to go on TV and tell everybody he saw me at a gay club and I was uncloseted and confused about my feelings and that's why I did this. Whether that's right or wrong, I could see him thinking right. that in his mind. You know? But at the same time, Mr. McCabe yeah. would be outing himself at that point. True. Like, what were you doing in a gay club, Mr. McCabe? <laughs> I was a bartender. <laughs> he ran out of gas. Right. Needed to use the payphone. Casey, sorry, go ahead. No, I didn't have any. I was just agreeing. Okay. So we're getting to the end of this section of the book, and this is where things really kind of start to amp up. So the first thing at this part is the situation with Dolores and Peter being the one to call out her getting her period and her white pants and starting the thing that everybody starts making fun of her. Do you guys feel like, I mean, obviously I think Peter was wrong for that, but do you understand why he might've done it? He was deflecting from himself. If yeah. he made someone else the target, then that would take the target off his back, even if it was just yeah. for a little bit. He even says, it, yeah. you know, when they say, what's your problem, homo? Well, it's not funny anymore. And he's like, maybe it was never funny. It just wasn't about him. But because he felt cool for five whole minutes. And then he didn't yeah, even feel bad about it. Kind of, yeah. No. It, he just, it, it's like, and he even says... Feeling um, belonging felt like helium. And it, okay, I feel like validation is a high, especially if you're a person who really, really needs it. Like for myself growing up, you know, my parents were divorced. My mom and I didn't have a good relationship. She never told me she was proud of me. Like no matter what I did, it was never good enough. And so I grew up to be an adult who needed constant validation. And if I didn't get it, I would just like self-implode. So I think Peter's in a similar situation where even like the tiniest shred of, oh, you're a good person. Oh, you're cool. Oh, I like you was enough to just like make him go all out. I honestly get sociopath vibes from Peter. Yeah. Me too. Like with no remorse. No, you know, yeah. like even if he did snap, I would think that afterwards you would have some kind of like, you know, like when talking to the police, be like, you know, I just wanted it to stop. I just, you know, but he's like, I would do it again. Yeah. And I just, you know, he wants his mom. He looks a little sad. And I like the part where Patrick's like, I would almost feel sorry for him if he wasn't wearing a t-shirt splattered with the blood of his fellow students. Like, And can we I talk for a minute about why Lewis is lying to Lacey about going to the jail? Because he doesn't want her to think he's a piece of shit. But, like, you didn't think she was going to find out? Right. And, like, that's still his son. Like, Yeah. Yeah. If so, you found out that your child did something like this, would you still take care of, like, would you visit them in jail and aid yes. in their defense and everything? I would, too. Abby actually asked us that a couple of weeks ago. She was like, if I killed somebody, would you still love me? And I was like, I will always love you. I will always support you and be there for you. But I want you to face the consequences of your actions. 
Yeah. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, she shouldn't go to prison, but I will send you money. I will come visit you. I will do what I can to help you get rehabilitated, but. I'll put money on your books. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing at the end of the day, though, that child is still your blood. Yeah. You know, whether you agree anyway. with what they did. Oh, I guarantee you. If I was in that position, I would blame myself up one wall and down the other. But at the end of the day, it's still, like you said, with the whole thing with Abby, I will always love you. I don't necessarily have to like the choices that you made at the end of the day. So, you know, yeah. yes, I will go visit. Yes, I will put money on your books, whatever the case may be. But you're going to have to pay for your own actions as well. So I'll send you a shiv and your birthday cake. No, I'm just kidding. Let me ask you this. And this is, I know it's not in the book, but it would have been, it makes me wonder what if, so let's say that Joey had not been killed by that drunk driver a year before. And he'd been in school that day. Chances are he would have been a victim as well. Mm -hmm. So as a parent, how would you handle that situation? One of your children killed your other child. I I would be obviously fucking devastated. Like I, and and I would be mad. I I think it would depend on. I think it would depend on the situation. Given Peter's situation, I think I would still be there for him and love him. If he never expressed any remorse for killing his brother, that might change how I felt about it. Yeah, but if if it was like, I mean his brother was one of his antagonists. So you have to take that into play. And as much as you don't want to admit it, it's like, you know, we favored him and they, I got to think they didn't know he was bullying Peter, at least not to that extent, but I, it would be very hard for me to disown my child. It would mm -hmm. have to be, it would have to be a very, very serious scenario where they brought more harm to my life than good and they had no soul left, basically. Other than that, I'm still going to be there. Yeah. So, Casey, let me ask you a question. Um, False. Kind of <laughs> Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Go, going back to the Dolores thing for a second. Um, if you were back in high school and you were being teased and bullied and hazed and all that stuff, and you were given that opportunity, and, and, and I don't mean to put you on the spot like, oh, you're a shitty person, but like, do you understand why Peter sees that opportunity? Like, could you understand that or kind of rationalize mm -hmm. it in your mind based on what was happening to him or, or to you? I see exactly his thought process. And at the end of the day, it's still that doesn't just because that's how he rationalizes his desire for deflecting the attention off of him. Mm -hmm. That still doesn't excuse it and does still doesn't make mm -hmm. it right at the end of the day. No, not um, I probably as a girl would have done the same thing. As as sucky as it is, but and you, girls do that shit to each other. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and one of the prime lessons that we're taught all the way back you know as a toddler preschooler age child is two wrongs do not make a right so 
you know. Yeah, but that logic goes out the window when you're suffering. <laughs> they also tell oh, you do unto others right. as you'd have done unto you, and he had that done unto him. Fair. So, well, there's obviously a multitude of ways of looking at a lot of situations in this book, and that's one of my favorite things about the first half of this book. Is it's very, very, very psychological. Yeah. So, uh, and I think I want, too, okay. I like the way that it's there's different ways to interpret it based on your own background, and that's the point, yeah, of the whole thing. Um, okay, so a couple more. Do you guys think Alex should recuse herself from the case? Yes, same, okay, absolutely. Yeah. I because she number okay, so. Heard. Josie her wasn't daughter. injured, but she still knew Peter as a child. They were, you know. And her boyfriend was killed. Yeah. Yeah. Would, Josie's involved in the whole scenario. So to me, that automatically yeah. is a and I think, judge out. Yeah. And I she think her political aspirations had a lot to do with her not recusing herself. Like her yeah. desire to progress in the legal system, um, yeah, I think that definitely played a lot in because she knew it would be a high-profile case, mm-hmm. and getting to sit on it would, you know, even everybody that was, even the prosecutor was like, she shouldn't be sitting on this case. You yeah. know, if you have everybody saying, "Wait, what? Why isn't she, you know, recusing herself?" That's a good indicator that you might want to double-check that and see, because worst-case scenario. That's a grounds for an appeal. Mm-hmm. Or a mistrial, even. Yeah. And she's sitting there justifying it to herself. Like, she's so into it that she's like, well, I'm the only one that knows this, these people so well that justice can only be served if I'm the one doing it. It's like, no, honey, no. Yeah. Which to also... To me, uh, that's not justice. To me, that's the grounds for extreme bias. Yeah. So what do you think is more important to Alex, being a mom or her job? Her job. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I think she loves her daughter. Yeah. But I think her job is more important, definitely, than... Yeah. I feel like she's resented Josie from the day she was pregnant. Like, the day she found out she was pregnant. I think she loves her, but I think she always feels like it's the thing that held her back. Yeah. Okay, so um, kind of the end of this section. We get this big situation with Peter doing this presentation in one of his classes about popularity and having to make... I can't remember what the actual, sub, what the actual subject like, was, but it being was Being like, able to be like in being friends with both popular and unpopular people. Well, yeah, of his, oh. but I meant the yeah. overall assignment. I can't remember yeah. what it was, but his, his, basically his presentation was about popular people versus unpopular people and how do they overlap and whatever. Um, so he. Cools versus nerds, my side versus your side, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's Ronald Miller all over again. So this is where he it basically, whether he means to or not, calls out Josie as being in the middle and therefore claiming her being partially at least on his side of the invisible line which she even says um in only exists because someone drew a line so that everybody else was out and so 
you know, Peter says Josie's both. And that's when Josie kind of has her own meltdown of, you know, oh, I knew I wasn't going to fit in. Nobody's going to take me seriously. Do you guys think that Peter did that with the intention of trying to call her out or with the intention of trying to be her friend? Knowing what I know about Peter and the path, or not the path, but the likelihood of him being a sociopath, I think he intended it to do damage. Okay. Casey? I would have to probably agree with Shanna on that one. Um, I think his mental well-being is so far checked out right now that I don't think anything that he does at this point is well-intended, if that makes yeah. sense. I think, honestly, his plan was that he would call her out and then she would become a pariah just like him, and then he could have her all to himself. Yeah. But that could also be, like, just desperation of wanting his friend back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, do you think that Peter truly understands how fragile popularity is? I don't think he does. No, because he's never experienced it. Yeah. He's always been the gum on the shoe. But people are just trying to get off of there, you know? Like, he thinks Josie's just in and doesn't understand that she has to work at it. And kind of going back to Can't Buy Me Love, it's like a job. I have to work at it. So does everybody else. Like, everybody is trying to work it and be this and be that and be the... I would even bet Courtney, that little bitch, was like, okay, if I'm not the queen bitch, then who am I? So I have to keep acting like this. Whether or not she felt any remorse, who knows? But, you know... Everybody has insecurities. Um, and I thought it was interesting a little bit after this when, you know, Josie's trying to talk to Matt about, I don't like the way you treat him. And, you know, basically said, he said, if, if there isn't an, if there isn't a them, there can't be an us. And you should know that more than anybody. Like, I feel like that was Matt just lording it over her that you're popular because of me. Mm-hmm fucking Matt. Letting her know how fragile it is and its stability depends on him. Yeah. So I think Matt is giving off some super creeper vibes with the pinching her side and telling her not to eat her fries and the whole if I ever go I'm going to take you with me like what are you guys thinking about Matt? Do you think he's harmless or do you think he's... No because we've read where he's like pushed her and shit. Well yeah that was the next thing was Peter finds out that Matt basically hit her. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this. We already know that he wrote Let Live on on Josie. Do you think he he originally meant to kill her and after he found out about Matt hitting her, he crossed her out? Or do you think he never really intended to kill her and that's why he did that? I think he had originally planned to kill her. I think he was angry with her because she left him behind. And then, you know, after the whole presentation thing, she basically wrote him off. She's yeah. like, you know. And I think after that, he kind of, you know, found out about the things that were happening to her and, you know, then decided that he would let her live. And maybe he decided he wanted to let her live as a form of punishment. Yeah. 
Well, the the plot will thicken on that as well. So just strap yourselves in. So. Oh dear Lord! <laughs> just what I want to do: strap on more. <laughs> strap on. <laughs> strap on. <laughs> um. So that was kind. Of, I know that was a lot for everybody listening. Thank you for hanging with us this long. Um. This book is just super, super deep, and there's lots of stuff to talk about. And I still feel like we didn't even really touch on any of the adult stuff. Alex and Lacey, Lacey and Lewis, like we really didn't even go there. We have a so. whole other episode to do all that. Yeah. But Plus uh, covering the stuff that happens in the last 200 yeah. pages. We're well. going to have plenty to talk that's, about. Just wait. <laughs> that's the beauty of I, I, the direction we're going with these episodes now. I kind of like the whole idea of, you know, splitting up the reads into, yeah, you know, well, Mid-month, we'll talk about the first half. End of the month, we'll talk about the second half. Second half and, and overall then, opinions. And there's yeah, definitely and certain can... authors you have to do that with. I would say Jody Bacolt is one of those writers. I would say Stephen King is one of those writers. I would say, yeah. you know, I don't know. Those two are just the first two I thought of. But there are certain authors that their stories are so developed and nuanced that you really have to, like, get into it so i don't have anything else i don't think this format would have fit i don't think this format would have fit well with like a time to kill yeah i mean we don't have to do it for every book but we we still do our mid-month check-in but i think depending on the book we can just decide hey do we want to this book definitely otherwise it would have been like a two and a half hour long episode so um i don't have anything else at this point unless you guys do i'm Excited for you guys to finish the book and find out what happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to be reading some more tonight after I eat dinner. Nice. Yeah, I might have to do that as well. Uh, I'm making bacon fried cabbage. Fried cabbage? Bacon fried cabbage, yeah. Interesting. I didn't know you could bacon fry makes, cabbage. Bacon, bacon makes everything better. Yes, yes. it does. <laughs> All right. Well, Casey, I will hand it back over to you then to close this out and stuff. Yay. Um, so again, we want to thank all the listeners and everybody who has supported the show the last, I think this will be episode seven, I think. Six or seven. I don't officially remember, but at the end of the day, that the number is not important. It's the fact that you guys are here and supporting us and listening and showing us the love that has made us the number one literature review podcast on good pods. And at the end of the day, we're not ready to give that title up yet. So yeah, continue to keep listening, continue to keep showing support and love. If there's somebody out there that you think would like what we're doing, recommend the show to them, have them give us a listen as well. We're greedy as fuck people. We want all the listens. Heck yeah. Or listen, 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 give me all the listens. And definitely tell us your thoughts on the book so far on um, our Facebook page. We would love to know what you think. Especially this one because there's so much psychologically that has been unloaded on us in the first half of this book. Yeah. And Amanda already spoiler-free told us expect more to come in the back half. Yes. So, I mean, I'm ready to get these last 200 pages done. And get back to recording so we can discuss the back half of this book. Yeah. It's, but it's going to be interesting. 
I did notice, though, there is a moment in the book, in this book, 19 Minutes, where our next read is mentioned as well. So. Oh, yeah. I, I noticed that, too. What's our next book again? To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, yeah. So, for those of you who didn't know, and realistically you should know because you guys are all listening and making us the number one show. But after we are done reading 19 minutes, we will be reading and then discussing To Kill a Mockingbird as well, followed up by The Hellbound Heart and my selection after that, which is still a ways down the road. So we'll worry about that when we get closer. Um, Ladies, is there anything coming up on your 18 podcast that we need to let the listeners know about? Nah, not right now. Just the usual. Check out our episodes as they drop. Crime Rewind on Tuesday. An Evening at the Movies on Wednesday. The Sip List on Thursday. We basically have your midweek slump covered. So come hang out with us. Heck yeah. Well, and, and drafts on Friday and, you know. Tuesday? It drops on Friday, though. Drop. Drops on. Friday. Oh, drops. Okay, I'm sorry. Ignore me. I'm stupid. But definitely, if you have nothing going on on a Tuesday night and need something to do, you can come and check out our live episodes because when it's live, that's when we are at our best. Not that Dre's doing ever editing, but you know, you can interact with us while we are fucking with each other, and that therein lies the joy of participating in our draft episodes. Heck yeah. um, And as someone who was on the outside and who is now on the inside of the drafts, I know exactly how much fun it is to poke the bear while it's happening. (laughs) And then now now I'm in on it and I'm like, shit, I shouldn't have poked that bear. (laughs) Never poke the bear. Amanda doesn't like it when I play that game. Not the bear. Not the bear. I'm doing um, it by Courtney Kardashian. Me too. not the bear. Chloe's the one that's like, not the... I've, I've decided that's my new thing. Not the not, bear. Not the bear. Mm, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, really, really quick, because I know you guys love my OCD planning, but coming yeah. up on an evening at the movies... Not OCD. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Is it organic? <laughs> Not organic. <laughs> Sorry, Casey. We're so dumb. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> yeah. You will yeah. not get an argument from me on that one. <laughs> Next week on an evening at the movies, we will be discussing Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. The week after that, um, everybody's favorite Harvandre will be back with us. To discuss her bun, right? Uh, yeah, yes, not the chocolate. Is it organic? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm we're sorry. sorry, we can't resist. We will be discussing the um, international horror sensation that is Midsummer, and then the week after that, we will be starting everybody's favorite month of the year. Stephen King, Birthday Bonanza. Also known as Carrie. Santa Bonanzas. Not the Bonanzas. Well, yeah, that, 
Shanna's birthday episode back? is coming up in that month as well, as long as as well as Carrie Salem's Lot. Uh, Tim Arnold will be returning to an evening at the movies to discuss The Shining, Creep Show, and Cujo. And then wow. I'll leave it at that. We'll we'll discuss October at a later date and time. So definitely thank you guys for being here. Thank you to my awesome co-host for helping deliver a number one ranked podcast on Good Pods. We all we are you and your damn Kardashian yacht. Right. Okay, I'm gonna send you a couple of these videos, Casey, so you can see what we're doing. There's this hysterical. girl that does like this perfect impression of all three of them. No, it's hysterical because anyway, they're mocking. She's mocking them, oh, and I they even that, like her. Like... <laughs> oh lord. With all that said, Amanda, it is your book, so you get to figure out how to send us out of here with a appropriate wrap up. So. The microphone is yours. Thank you guys for being here this week. And Amanda, take it away. Not the microphone. Um, <laughs> is it organic? Uh, I can only use an organic microphone. Okay. Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we love you. You're reading 19 minutes. And thanks for doing this little journey with us. And we hope you all... Um, Blah, blah, blah. I was waiting for that. We hope you come back for an evening at the movies. We hope you all come back for an evening at the movies. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Not the mess up. <laughs> uh...